there are people that come out and are like, oh, I don't want to go back there again. So I, I really think that George Floyd was kind of the latter um, where he was just trying to get his life on the straight and narrow. And I, you know, and it's like people, people go to prison, but that doesn't mean that they can't be, you know, well-meaning, productive members of society when they come back out again. Yeah, this is Straight Talking Mental Health. It is your weekly podcast where we just dissect everything about mental health. Whatever it is, big, small, indifferent, we don't care. We'll talk about it and we'll talk straight. Simple as that. Now, this week we are Straight Talking Mental Health in America. We're going to be talking to a caregiver, author Nick Daniel. He'll tell us about his experience in Minneapolis. And of course, in Minneapolis is George Floyd. And uh, he's going to tell us about that day, the 25th of May, 2020, uh, what was going on. And of course, the the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. And of course, uh, Nick knew George Floyd. So he's going to tell us all about that very, very soon. My name is Peter Dunn and joining me is a psychotherapist. His name is Alan And not here this week is... Cameron Clark. <laughs> You're supposed to leave that blank. Uh, uh, Alan <laughs> Where's Cammy this week? Uh, well, Cammy wasn't available for an interview tonight, and um, there was no point getting you on and getting him on. So he's, I said, he's busy with college. Fair enough. So I'll, like, crack on, crack on, get that. That's that's more important. Good stuff. Now we have it. Le- learn, learn the English. Learned that's English. more important. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Now, in case this is your first time listening, this is, as I said to you, it's a mental health podcast, but there's a bit of a twist. Number one, we have somebody qualified to talk about it, not me. And number two, we just talk straight. No nonsense. No bullshit, straight to the point, because uh, that's what we have to do nowadays, isn't it? When we talk about mental health. What else are you going exactly. to do? <laughs> Carry on putting up a catchy fucking, no. putting up a catchy slogan. Yeah. <laughs> too many people have done that for too long. Anyways, if yeah. you want to get in touch, we're on all the socials. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. The full whack we are. stmhpodcast.com. And uh, you can get in touch with us on that. If there's a story you want us to cover, or if you just want to get in touch and say hello. Hello at m- stmhpodcast.com. Simple as, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. What's the crack, dude? How are you getting on? It's been a while, man. It's it been has. A while. It's been a while. How long has it been? Like a mm-hmm. month or two months? No, it's more is than it? that. I don't know. When were you last Well, time? I was on with Billy. Uh, Billy, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 that was, was a while ago, I suppose. Yeah. 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 What's been going on with you? What's occurred? Uh, ah, Gavin and Stacey reference. I like it. Yeah. What's happening? What's happening? Uh... A little girl started school. Yeah, oh. brilliant, big moment. How's she doing? She's flying. She loves it. Loves school. Great. She doesn't get that from Great. me. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it's cool. She she's oh. going to um, an all Irish speaking school. So uh, for anybody, I will go yeah, school. school. So for anybody listening outside Ireland, it's where you you're taught the Irish language and all your subjects are taught through the Irish language. And my Irish is shit. So I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> an, I'm par with her basically, and I'm trying to learn <laughs> as she's learning. You know, so she's coming home to me giving me words. I go, wow, what's that? You know, and I'm trying to remember them. Like you know, <laughs> I, I never knew the Irish for pink was Bon Jarrig. 
when you think about yeah, it, is yeah. literally literally red, red white. white, yeah, and or white red. And, sorry, Bond. Uh, what did, I, what did I learn the other day that the Irish for purple is uh, Gurum Dove? Yeah, wow. blue black. That's fucking hot. Come back to my blood, dude. You don't fucking need to send her to school. Send her up to me. <laughs> but it's gas. Like you know, we learn Irish for thirteen years in school, and and can't speak yeah, a fucking. We can word say I like football. I have a sister. <laughs> I. Uh, um, I like Kenny, what's, what's the Irish for football? Can't even remember. Pele. But what, Pele. Um, Pele. How, oh, how yeah, cool yeah. is that? That one of the greatest <laughs> footballers who ever lived is called. Is the Irish word for football? Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's that? But what? Or is Mott? Oh, is Mott Pele? Yeah, Pele. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I Pele is to play football, and mm. uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's all, but it's funny. Like you know, in a way. You're thinking, right, it's 13 years of, of Irish and then at the end of it, you're, you can barely speak it. But it's still yeah. lodged in your brain somewhere. You know, it's muscle memory. <laughs> piece, piece of bjorgen is Yeah, reach. Small, small bit now and again. There you go, yeah. No, no, you piece haven't. of bjorgen and Ishaq is a reach. So, um, no, no, that's cool. That's cool. And uh, yeah, so what else? What else been happening? Ah, oh, work has been hectic. Um, COVID's still here. Yeah. <laughs> and will be here for a yeah. fucking long time. <laughs> Um, yeah. what else? What else been happening? Oh, the, the last actually was it the last time? No, it was the time before that when um, um, Ashley was on with us about uh, Black Lives Matter. I mm. finished recording a podcast with you and uh, I went upstairs to my bedroom and walked in a puddle of water. I looked up and there was water streaming through the ceiling of the bedroom. Where there was a, the a leak in the uh, uh, in around the chimney, coming through the attic oh, and Jesus. into the room, I was like, "Oh, you bastard! You absolute Fuck. bastard!" <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. So I have fond memories of my recent podcast. Have <laughs> <laughs> um, you been on since then? We had we had Billy since then. Yeah, sixty eight. We're on we're on seventy four now. So um, good to have you back, man. Yeah, it's good, good to, to be back. back. I don't miss it when I'm not doing it. Um, Mm. You know, and then you remember all the hassle that goes with, it and you're like, "Ah, don't miss it." Now that I know why you give it up. I know, <laughs> but it is like you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. I've said it's loads of time for. I'm not going to repeat it again, but it is. It's loads of work going into a podcast. It's not just rock up, talk, and go because you know mm. you have to give the mm. listener a bit of work. That's the easy. You know, bit. that's it. Um, you know, you have to put the work in, and uh, you know all well yourself when you're chasing guests, and you know I see the list of guests of people who want to come on and. You know, trying to find windows of opportunity. You know what I mean. So it is. It's yeah. a tough out. It's yeah. a tough old slot. But fair play, dude. You like. You know. You you kept the candle burning. Uh, trying, man. Fucking trying. <laughs> seventy something. Seventy three. Was it seventy two or seventy four? Seventy four. We're on now. That's amazing. You know. Mm. So uh, fair play, dude. And to Cammy, it's great to hear Cammy on it because you know the first time I think Cammy was on the podcast, he's a man of few words, and now. He won't yeah. shut up, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> little bollocks, tall bollocks. No, but it's great to even hear his progress and hear how well he's coming on. You know, so that, that's yeah. uh, that's amazing, very enjoyable. Because I, I like to listen to it as a listener. Now. Sit back, relax, yeah, tune yeah. in, laugh away. Sometimes talk to the podcast and go, "That beat, they can't hear you. They can't hear you." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, all good. And yourself? Bad day, man. Fucking bad oh, day. Lovely. Yeah, Me too. Go fucking, for him. Just, just a fucking bad day. Uh, just ah, fucking couple of issues in the relationship related to the autism and stuff like that, and it's just one of them days where I fucking hate it. Mm. Just fucking hate it, and I'd always say to clients, uh, 
I get a lot of referrals now of you know clients that are that are autistic, um, and I'd always say being autistic is fucking easy once you don't have to deal with other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's yeah. You know, so when you have to fucking deal with people and you got to interact and you have to, you know, be a fucking human mm. and 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 people, it's fucking it's it's a lot of bollocks. Are you know? are you pissing um, people off or? That's just fucking miscommunication. It's saying the wrong thing. It's perceiving things the wrong way. One part of autism and Asperger's would be you know you take things literally and something gets said and you take it as what it is said and you don't you know misconstrued the context of what's mm. said and it's just do you overthink it fucking oh yeah yeah, yeah. well you not don't at the time because it's just mm. you know and, and you fucking react and then you have to wind yourself back in and you know it's just autism to one side that sounds completely normal to me <laughs> you know it, ha- yeah, it happens yeah, in to, relationship yeah, between to, you know yeah, partners to, friends yeah, yeah. work colleagues yeah, neighbors yeah, strangers yeah. whoever the fuck you know that uh, that's mm, that's mm. part of life i suppose well look i don't know if you yeah. want to go more deeper into it but like you know like jesus that yeah that that happens you know yeah i know that that's that's true but it's 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 ramped up uh, okay it's, right it's, it's taken taken to the end degree and so just just dealing with that, and then um, uh, so dealing with that today, I was in bad form, just really low, really down, mm. and then went to pick up James from school. James isn't at school. I'm like, what the fuck is going oh. on? Ring his mom. She's like, no, you're not supposed to happen today. Today's Wednesday. I was like, no, today's Thursday. She's like, yeah, but you haven't Friday. I was like, no, I haven't today. I was like, oh shit, all oh, right. So she's like, oh look, he wasn't feeling well, so he didn't go to school. So, mm. so she's like, hang on, I'll check with him, see how he's feeling. So she checked with him. So I'll ring you back a second. Rings you back. Yeah, he's grand. Good to go. You can pick him up there. Drive around, pick him up. He's in great form. He's grand. We're chatting away. As we drive along, he starts getting quieter. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Then the waterworks start. He's missing his mammy. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And I tried to come comfort him. And I pull over and we're, you know, have him on my lap. And the tears are continuing. And that's, uh, you know, I didn't want to just kind of fucking soldier on and go, well, tough shit. It's, it's your day mm. with me. You know, so I just. Texas man, she's like, yeah, bring him back. Yeah. So, about turn, fucking brought him back home. I was just feeling shit, then. I was feeling shit yeah. already, and you know, one fucking day of the week, and then you know, it really fucking hurts. You know, imagine how we feel if you know you seen Quiva once a week, and then the one day you're meant to have her, mm. she wanted to go to, she wanted to go oh, back to Laura. Like it's heartbreaking, you know. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking. But then you can't do it. And it's like you can't force them. I don't want to force yeah, them. Yeah. That's not going to fucking help. And then, but then you're like, well, I don't want to set a precedent either. Yeah, that yeah. straight away gets so just fucking just dealing with that today. Do my tax returns. So <laughs> not a fucking <laughs> not, not a good day. Yeah. All October twenty first yeah. can go fuck itself. Simple as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was your bad day? Um, oh look, you know we. Um, we're heading to uh, a hotel for the night because uh, my legendary, amazing mother-in-law said, I'll take the two kids. So we said, yeah, you take the kids. We're <laughs> out of here. Motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> two fucking burn marks, like back to the future on the fucking road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With Doc Brown looking around in shock on what the fuck happened here? But um, yeah, so Where's my car gone? booked a hotel, meals, spa treatments, just gotta chill the fuck out, relax. Mm. And then last night, I think he's run the temperature. Oh no! Oh no! 
So as a result, Fuck. yeah, we're going to have to cancel. So we get to cancel our night away. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. I haven't been away together for like two years. So we said, fuck, we're going to enjoy this. And uh, the kids had a party to go to today. But because of running the temperature and COVID, now you can't go. Mm-hmm. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Quiva was more devastated. She didn't get to go to school than a party. you know. So <laughs> keeping her home and then, you know, with Halloween coming up, they had like a Halloween, uh, the, the fancy dress, can't go to that. Mm. They can't go to her nanny's mm. house and they can't go. And it's just like, like breaking the kids' hearts like 10 times going, you can't do this, you can't do this. Why? Because of fucking mm. COVID. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, he he's run the temperature. He's um, he's oh, he's in good form. I think his tonsillitis is all mm. he has. Mm. And um, we just you couldn't leave him with somebody when he's not well because you know we yeah, give him an antibiotic yeah. now in about forty five minutes, and we'll be up every two hours to check his temperature to make sure he's not spiking. So uh, yeah, so that's. Yeah. My great weekend plan. I wouldn't mind, you know. I I took the day off work tomorrow, and I took the day off work Saturday. I really going to enjoy this. Now I'm going to be at home with the kids. (laughs) Not even able to go anywhere until we get a um, a negative COVID test. So yeah, today is just a bastard. (laughs) We're not exactly ringing endorsements for repopulation. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck's sake. Yeah, um, kids, fuck that. <laughs> That's why Cammy is not today. He's getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, knock it, knock it, dude. We call it as it is. Like sometimes you get on the podcast, yeah. you're feeling great. Sometimes you get on, you're feeling shit. Yeah. You know, it's we're going to be human days. about this. We're not going to be fucking on yeah. the front. This is it. Sometimes you've shit days. Sometimes you've good days. Simple yeah, as. Today was a shit day. Absolutely. Yeah. Pick, pick up and start yeah. again. 24 more hours that's tomorrow. all so that's all now there. you have it you haven't, you haven't been on in a while man mm-hmm. but we had Rocky on last mm-hmm. week that's right yeah what, what did, you, did you take anything from that I'm hoping you listened oh, to I it oh I did yeah <laughs> um, yeah uh, very insightful I thought mm. um, what a political fucking answer <laughs> <laughs> you've said something but you said absolutely fuck off <laughs> you're right I didn't listen to the episode I agree <laughs> <laughs> you fucking didn't i fucking you dirty dickhead <laughs> fuck's sake man <laughs> fucking hell yes by all means everyone around the world please listen to our fucking podcast our co-fucking host and co-founder has fucked off and he's like, well, fuck y'all. I'm fucking doing my own shit. Nah, man, I'm taking the piss. Of course I listened to it. Jesus, I texted you when I was... Did you I texted you when I was listening Did to you. Know? I texted you, didn't I? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, immigration... The uh, you know what what people go through as well. You know you don't really think of it. You know you think, oh immigration, mm. bunch of people living in a camp outside the country trying to get in, and that's it. You know, mm. and I know I've I've listened to plenty of podcasts about it, and you know the um, when Trump did his big fucking you know Mexico, you're gonna stay here, crop. and yeah, 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 we're gonna build a wall, and you're gonna pay and for it. Just hearing <laughs> stories from the families trying to get through. You know, kids been let through without parents. Kids been separated from their parents. Like, mm-hmm. If that doesn't lead to mental health issues, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, 
Yeah, Rocky mentioned, mm. you know, for her, it was uh, women she knew that were assaulted and couldn't report Horrific. it because yeah, they were undocumented. Yeah. You know, mm. worse to talk about trauma. Yeah, mm. yeah that's it. And Yeah, um, how did you find it last week? Yeah, last week was one of those episodes where, you know, we get publicists contacting us saying, you know, let's have, have our have our author yeah, yeah. on, she's got a book coming out, blah, blah, blah. And you know the story, no one comes on and flogs their book, you got to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've said before, sometimes we have a clear topic in mind and we get a guest on around it. Sometimes the topic comes out of the, out of the conversation. And as she started talking about that first generation immigration kind of thing, I was like, oh, here we go. That's 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 this yeah, one, yeah. you know. But you know, and she saw. But I think the thing that kind of struck me was, well, two things. One was the white passing. So being a white passing Latina, um, <laughs> for if you didn't see, if you didn't see pictures of Rocky in the social media, you think she was Irish. Mm, she looks yeah, so different yeah. from from any your standard Irish girl. So she 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 fits into that world and overhearing the racism because. It's expected that that she's white. But the other thing that struck me, and I remember thinking at the time, I was like, well, this is fucking weird. Do you remember all this Asian hate and all this fucking stuff that was going on in America? And I was like, what, what's going on there? Are we, what, what, are we just hearing about this now? But it was fucking COVID. Yeah, like, yeah. They were attacking fucking Asian people for fucking blaming them for but COVID. That was happening here as well, dude. Did you not see the videos of people attacking Chinese restaurants? Fuck, Smashing them up because of COVID. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! I'm going back wow, on yeah, the yeah. fucking rock. Fuck yeah. out. Um, footage of uh, the place in Galway. There's a few places done in Dublin. I'm sure there was more done, but these are the videos I seen. It's just horrific, mm. absolutely horrific. Yeah. Jesus mm. Christ! Man. Yeah, I'm going back on the rock. Some going, people are just. I'm going down. I'm going down to my office and I'm recording the podcast. I'm fucking going back <laughs> under that. Fuck that shit. Um. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely horrific. Like it, it, there's moments like that you think to yourself, people are fucking stupid. Oh, dickheads! Fucking stupid. <laughs> just, like, you know, yeah. You know, all you have to yeah. do is look at the comment section of most Facebook posts. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, <laughs> Jesus! You want to get your fucking blood oh, pressure stop up? Stop it, Jesus Christ! You know, yeah. I I rarely post yeah. stuff on social media, but when I do, I'll have a long hard think about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus Christ! Some people don't even think; they just pam the screen with their fucking hand. You know, it's just oh yeah, Bash. yeah. Complete stupidity. Yeah. Now you have it. Yeah. But yeah. um spitting yeah, bile. That wouldn't do any good for your mental health. Um definitely not. Mm, yeah. But uh uh Smiles and Riles. You wanna get into nah, it? before we go into Smiles and Riles. Oh, yeah, do we uh, correspondence? You, you, you've had your you, yeah, you had your finger off the I'm rusty, there. I'm rusty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we'll let you we we'll let you off of that one. It's been a while. <laughs> I read out an email. I think it was. I think it was on last week's episode. I think it was around self harm. We had uh, we had a correspondence of person who didn't want to be named, and we, we respected mm-hmm. that of self harm and stuff like that. So we had a follow up email um, with the subject line of "I apologize." I was going, "What the fuck? What's what's oh. going on here?" Um, yeah, I was like, "Whoa, what's what's happening?" Same individual sent us an email. Hi, guys. I'm sorry for not listening. Okay, before we get into that, you text me to say, we've done an episode on self-harm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I forgot that. I made the request last week of, you know, anyone wants to come on, we need to cover it. And after 74 episodes, I just forget. Mm. (laughs) You know, so fair play. You did text me, go, we've actually done self-harm. 
but we can always but do funny it again. Enough, I, I, I remember that because somebody got in touch and asked us to do an episode on self-harm. Actually, a few people got in touch. Well, a yeah, few yeah, people got right. in touch and asked us to do self-harm. It was one of the most pop, popular yeah, ones yeah. requested, actually. Yeah, yeah. So with, with that being said, hey guys, I'm sorry for not listening to the self-harm one before my previous message, which was the one right mm-hmm. last week. I listened once, got huffy, then listened later on the way home thinking, I'm going to have to prove they didn't talk about this or that. Only to hear then exactly what I missed the first time. I was then mad at myself for getting a huffy. I was in my room hiding from my childhood, then hurting myself from 12 to 20. I went into the hospital. I have to stay at shit hospital wards are just not an Irish problem. I literally sat in a room talking and listening to music, peeing with the door open. I started to lose my mind because of all the drugs they put me on. Laughing and crying with a family that just wanted me home. Even when a woman stabbed herself and we sat in the hall, I remember just wondering how, because they took everything sharp from us. Even as they carried her out, it felt normal to me, and I don't know why. I started listening to you guys in my 30s. The pandemic made me realise that flipping emotions weren't because of the ward. It was how I was. I never went anywhere, so lockdown was nothing to me. I, however, did start seeing things that were muted by the constant work and attention to my co-workers and bosses' needs. I wanted to die, but refused to let myself. I wanted to suffer because I deserved it, and being alive was worse than death to me. Then literally the next minute I would be smiling and dancing around my house. Even my dog looked like, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm still trying to figure out what is wrong with me, but all in all. You guys are so fun to listen to. I learn and have people talking to me when all I have is darkness, and no longer feel like I have nothing to look forward to. I pray you don't run out of things to talk about. I need you guys. Wow. Yeah. I feel a bit emotional after that, actually. You know that? Okay. Let's, let's bring that up here. Sometimes you forget what the podcast does for people. Yeah. Wow. You know, I know we give out and you go, oh, it's work, it's this, it's that. And, you know, the stress mm. and the strains of putting it together sometimes. Jesus, when you hear that, you go, wow. Yeah. And not the first. Not the first person that's made comments mm. like that, and that's the stuff that that's the stuff that makes it worthwhile. And we we said it last week. We really hope that listener is can do something for herself mm. and get the help if she feels you need it. But we'll keep on trucking. I'm gonna keep trucking away, so I'm not not going anywhere just yet. Um, yeah. Beautifully written, actually. You know, I can, I can, yeah. I can nearly uh, quite poetic. Yeah, I can. Wow, you know, I can see her dancing around with the dog, and you know, in the in the corridor of the hospital. You yeah. know, it's uh, wow, and just witnessing someone stabbed himself. Wow. Yeah, mm. look after yourself, listener. Absolutely, hundred percent. We say it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron says, "No, that's that's your tagline." No. I can't say that. Is that <laughs> so I always say at the end, look, at, look after yourself and look after that, each other. That's Jerry Springer, dude. Yeah. Is it? I don't know where I got it from. <laughs> I'm not for I, I don't know where it is. I was, I I was, supposed, I was supposed to text you and go, what the fuck are you ripping off Jerry Springer, dude? What's the story? You no, know? I didn't. Is that's that Jerry Springer. He, he, says, it at, he no. says it at the end of every... every oh, after, Just after a lot of people have kicked no, the living bejesus shit out of each other and ruined each other's lives. Take care of yourself and each other. <laughs> oh, well, I say look after yourself, look after each other. So mine's an original. <laughs> I wasn't ripping off Jerry, Jerry Springer. Fucking hell, man. 
Well, I hope that individual either looks after or takes care yeah, of themselves, yeah, one yeah, or the other. Yeah. But as long as as long as they look Absolutely, after themselves, hundred um, percent. Right. You got some smiles and rides for me, man. Um, yeah. Well, today's been a royal. Today's a royal. I had it as a royal. I, I hate today. It's just been a bad. I can't yeah, wait to go sleep. Yeah, you know, that just wake up yeah, to another day. Fucking write it yeah, off. Fuck this write shit. it off. Yeah, um, yeah. Royal, royal. Do you know what's starting to bug me lately? The amount of people on. Well, okay, let's go back to social media. Um, I work in media, as you know, and people mm-hmm. often think that there's this crazy agenda. That the government are in, you know where I'm getting at now, yeah. yeah. The government are, um, you know, collaborating with the media and forcing yeah. the media to put out certain messages. Of about, which that is you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You are the propaganda yes. of the yes, government. Yeah, uh, I just yeah. received a recent message uh, calling us all media whores and comparing us to Nazis, uh, you know. And uh, it didn't work off. out too well for the Nazis and all this kind of stuff. And I just sit there going. Guys, like nobody has ever come to me and went, we need to push this COVID agenda. We need to tell people to get vaccinated. We need to tell people this. Uh, nobody has ever said that to me once, hand on heart, I swear on my life. Yet people feel the need to get in touch and go, media, you're doing this because you're brainwashed and the government want to control us and get us to buy shares in Facebook. Ah, you know. Fox. And it, it worries me because I know I mentioned to the dear during the week that we must do an episode on post COVID trauma because a lot mm. of people are fucking messed up from COVID in ways we'll, yeah. you know, that'll come out in future generations, you know, mm. in ways they probably don't even know. You know, when you hear people spouting, you hear people close to you, you know. Families, friends, yeah. and they're coming up with this, and you're going, yeah. ah, no, I think you're, I think you got it wrong, <laughs> you know. It's yeah. tough, man. It's I think tough. something's something's clicked in you, you know what I mean? And yeah. it is. It's not their fault necessarily. It's the fucking situation they've been put in, how they've managed themselves, how how the government have <laughs> have helped or hindered mm. us, you know what I mean? But you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's scary. Yeah. No, it's very, very scary. Well, stop pushing the government agenda, man. You fucking <laughs> you, you sh- you shill. You're just a shill for the government. I know exactly what your fucking job is like. It's like we need to get more ad revenue. Of course, yeah. We need to we need to pay <laughs> yeah. people's wages. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we need as many listeners so we can get more money from clients who can pay but for that's, wages. But that's fucking. I mean, this is when conspiracy theories take mm. hold at times of crisis because it's it's an anxiety avoider it's it's people wanting to believe that there's someone in control but the reality of it is it sounds not. like religion <laughs> but but, yeah. except, but exactly yeah but sure, isn't it easy to it's, it's easier to believe so that's god's will everything happens for yeah, a reason yeah. okay right okay i can endure this suffering yeah. so you know to to believe that is easier than going no one's in fucking control it's chaos, mm. like it's all fucking held together with strings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I remember seeing footage of a guy. I think it was over in America, where he was uh, walking around with no uh, face mask. Like a reporter stopped him and asked him, and mm. he said, "I'm not going to get COVID because I pray to Lord God and I ask Him not to get me COVID and I trust in Him." And you're going, "Ah, come on now, <laughs> you know what I mean?" <laughs> you know, it's. 
yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bit crazy. Now, look, it's a, that's just the footage I've seen. I'm sure there's people all yeah, over yeah, the world yeah. saying that, doing that, and mm. putting their yeah. faith in in people who are things or whatever <laughs> that may yeah. not exist. But uh, yeah, it's that kind of blind faith so, of right. If I do this, then you're going to give me this. Lovely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well. The message is lay off fucking Peter. He's not a shill. He's not pushing the government agenda. <laughs> no, no is. Absolutely not. They're not paying me enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about you, dude? Spoken like someone that's well paid to not talk about it. <laughs> I'll say nothing. <laughs> no, complete and utter nonsense. Jesus. So that's your royal. Have you got a? Have you any smiles? Or are we going royal, uh, royal, or smiles, smiles? Are we any fucking smiles? Give us, give us a royal. Let's get all these royals out of the way. All right, I give you my little royal. So after after I uh, dropped James back, um, driving home for people in Kildare Town and surrounding areas, the back road from the Curra coming in by the Curra Go- or coming in by Kildare Golf Course. Kildare Golf Course is just at the peak of a small little rise in the road. You can't really see above, you know, the other side. Is that in the Curra? So it's on the Curra. Yeah, it's on the Curra. Kildare, Kildare Golf Course. Yeah. Um, so anyone that's ever played it, you will walk away with plenty of sheep shite on your shoes and on your cart. <laughs> so just going over the crest of that, fucking guy over the crest of the hill stopped right on the blind on the blind hill. Not only that, fucking reversing, reversing over the hill, reversing back up the fucking hill <laughs> to turn into the golf course. A slam on the brakes. I was in fucking foul farm after bringing up James. I was like, or after bringing James back, I'm like, I'm not fucking cooking tonight. I got a Burger King on the fucking on the seat that I'm eating as I drive along. <laughs> Slam on the brakes, chips and fucking burger goes fucking oh, flying no. into the footwell of the car. I was like, "You old bastard!" This was your fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's like fucking reversing over the fucking on the main road on a blind oh, hill. I'm like, "Dozy bollocks!" <laughs> so that was me chips and me fucking burger. Oh, no. <laughs> So that's 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 me little that's me little royal a big royal it's topical as well. Um, did you see the Chappelle's? Ah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, the, the closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch, watch this. Did, did you watch yeah. it? What did you think of um, it? Chappelle for me now is where Richard Pryor would have went if he didn't get mm-hmm. sick. You know, mm-hmm. like it, um, Richard Pryor's show in, was it 1974, 75? When he came out talking about shooting his wife car, wife's car and everything, which mm-hmm. was, yeah, you know, yeah. very different from the comedy that was going on, the Bill yeah. Cosby comedy and stuff that was going on. Yeah, And yeah, yeah. he just, he just talked about his life and turned it into comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. Chappelle, the ability to do that was is amazing. And he's gone from... The quirky sidekick who's a stoner to a very mm. socially conscious mm. comedian. I think I think he's more kind of Carlin. He's probably a bit more yeah. George Carlin yeah, than, than yeah, Pryor. Yeah. Well, a combination of them all, you know, like obviously Pryor, Eddie Murphy, George Carlin, all mm. these guys that came before him. But for me, I have to say, I, I think Chappelle, like, you know, and he says it in it. Some people call me the goat, mm. you know, the greatest of all time. I, th- I think the level that Chappelle is at, he, he, that's, that's warranted. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of outcry, not just now, but of previous specials um, of claiming Chappelle is anti-trans, uh, anti-transgender and stuff mm. like this. And there's been war since the new special comes out because it, basically the whole special is around all of the backfire from transgender issues. And I read all of this stuff. And I was like, 
did you watch it? Have you actually watched the fucking special? Have you seen a clip on a website? Yeah. Or even just read a fucking Mm. headline? It's... And then there's, you know, they're saying, oh, well, Netflix fired a transgender employee because they leaked the fucking budget of the show. Okay. (laughs) That's a sackable offence wherever you go. Like, and I know other transgender... And there was a walkout today or something Mm. at Netflix um, over, you know, they're saying... Other headlines saying that it incites fucking hate crimes. And I'm like, did you take any of that? Did you? I mean, did you take any of that as you watched no. it? No, not a bit. No. no, no. I was like, actually, I think he's fucking brilliantly conveyed this issue. And said, oh, he's fucking, he's mocking the Me Too movement. I was like, yeah, he is. He's like, oh yeah, all these women go, well, let's wear black dresses to the Emmys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. None of them turned around and went to their male publicist. You're fired. Now I'm going to hire a female publicist. Room, yeah. And if you want to talk to me. You talk mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. I was like, absolutely. And I said, oh, you can't say this. He's like, you know, yeah, I fucking can. You know why? Because I got off the fucking bus. I got off mm. the bus and I left fucking 50 million at Comedy Central. Yeah. So the fucking, the, the, the backlash on this of people that clearly haven't watched it or haven't taken the message. And it's just, mm. I was like, yeah, I'm just <laughs> done today. I think some <laughs> of the greatest comedy is, or the greatest comedians have this ability to just hold a mirror up to people and go, this is that's, what you look that's like. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is exactly it. This is the point. We are talking about this issue. He is bringing awareness to this issue. And there's a few times where he's nearly like fucking winking, like going, do you see what I'm yes. doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, there's nearly a few bits where he's like, ta-da. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's me. That's me big royal anyway. That's me big um, royal. No, I thought it was. I thought a story at the end. Actually, I, <laughs> I, I googled that the bit he was talking about in the restaurant, and uh, uh, Dave Chappelle restaurant. He was talking about you know um, a woman who confronted him with no mask, himself and his mm-hmm. wife, and mm-hmm. you know he just wanted to have a meal, and there was somebody else filming it, mm-hmm. and he just went straight over to them and said, "No, you know, you're not doing this." But uh, of course, yeah, I, yeah. I, I said I'll have to have a quick look at this. Got onto YouTube when I was watching the video, and yeah, it was just dickheads at a table trying to get a ride out and decide and sell the video on yeah, online yeah, you know like yeah. that must be a, a, like if that was if that was prior in the 70s i'm sure to do would have got a punch in the face for it yeah, you know what yeah. i mean but yeah. what did they do they gave him great comedy material and he was able to turn it around you know that's what you do yeah. um and he was talking about his uh his friend the comedian i haven't googled that i was supposed to research that it was like, yeah yeah he talked about transgender or, or something like that yeah. yeah she came out she came out uh defending him got a lot of backlash uh, i won't i won't write it yeah 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 because it's a pretty big but moment I, I, yeah. I think he's very smart and some of the best comedians are very smart at, oh, at turning things around you know what i mean yeah. but that Genius. ability to tell a story so simply and uh, mm. you know, you, you, but such such a social commentary, yeah. like, not just a story, like, but it's like, it's like, like when you look at the big, you're like, whoa, oh fuck, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it's amazing, like, it's not just a case of somebody coming out telling knock knock jokes as a comedian, and <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is yeah. very, very carefully crafted material, mm. you know, and mm. known as well when he has the crowd silenced, known when yeah. to break the tension. You know, it's just yeah. it's an art in itself. Like you, you can only get and, that and it's from so different. twenty, thirty years on stage, like like Chappelle. Yeah, so. and, but it's but it's so different from the likes of Eddie Murphy. You know, doing raw and delirious. It was quite homophobic. Mm. It was of the times. It was of the ignorance of AIDS, and you know, he's talking about the gays. Eddie Murphy. Know, 
your wife kisses. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah, there was a lot of backlash from Delirious as well. That's an entirely yeah. That was, but that wasn't yeah. But that's eighty three. That's as as we look back now. Yeah, yeah people go and we go like yeah, that's pretty. That's some fucked up shit. But you know, this isn't Chappelle, Chappelle doing it out of ignorance. Mm. Like he is having this conversation, and he's like, yeah, we need to fucking talk about mm-hmm. this. You know, and he's going and he's coming out and he's against, you know, this thing that you can only use certain one state where you can only use the bathroom of the gender you're assigned oh, at birth yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And he's like, no, nah, fuck, you don't need a fucking birth certificate to go and fucking take a piss in Walmart where such and such a person fucking killed someone baby. and no one called for him to be <laughs> yeah. fucking cancelled. I don't know. I don't know who Did that you know, is. You never hear of the <laughs> baby. He's a rapper. No. Yeah. It's funny. Every time I hear his name, I think of uh, Catherine... Uh, what you call her from um, Shits Creek? The baby, the baby, the baby. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's me, Royal. Anyway, that's me. That's me, Br. That's me, Big Royal. Mm. Have you have you a Royal? Have you another Royal? Have you a smile? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> one of the things actually that occurred to me is that we don't bring the kids to mass a whole lot, and um, you know. Because we don't, because like we don't go to mass, Catholics. <laughs> except at Christmas when it's nice and we get to wear big jumpers. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a bit of Easter dress up um, nice. But uh, we were a mass recently, and um, we're trying to explain to the kids. Well, of course, Cormac's only three, so he loves to entertain. Mm. So when the priest is up there <laughs> pontificating as he does, my young lads down the back singing, "I like to move it, move it." So and you you know what Why the not? acoustics in a cathedral is like, dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so tried to keep him quiet, warn him. Oh, you can't say anything. The priest will put you out. And he's twerking <laughs> away. You know what I mean? Brilliant. So uh, yeah, we um, <laughs> so the queen's a little bit older. She's starting to learn about religion in school and that. And uh, uh, we said to her. <laughs> We said, no, you have to be quiet. You know, you can't be chatting away in mass. Now. You have to be quiet. You have to sit down mm-hmm. in your seat. And she goes, okay, grand. And she says to me, really seriously, she looked up at me and went, will Jesus be there? <laughs> and I said, ah, Jesus is everywhere. Way, yeah, he will be. <laughs> now, he won't be up in the altar. Don't shout up at him or anything, you know. <laughs> um, in all his omnipotence. <laughs> That's him bleeding from a cross. You know, he did that yep. for you. That's for you. See that crown of thorns Fucking he's remember that. Head, covered in blood. Yeah, yeah, he did that, <laughs> did that for us for the crack. Now we're just, just excuse me for a minute. I'm going to eat his body and drink his blood. See you now. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because you hit your mammy the other day. That's why he's bleeding out his forehead because you did that. Because you're bold. Because you didn't eat all your dinner, huh? Yeah. Look at him. Look at the skinniness of this lad. He'd kill for that. Oh, food. There, there we go. Irish cat Catholicism shame lived on. <laughs> Oh yes, the force is strong in this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's me making a Star Trek reference, huh? <laughs> ah, fuck off! You're not letting me in on that one. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, just the, the innocence of kids, and uh, she doesn't have a. <laughs> she called her religion book my Jesus book. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if, when we were in school, if you said that, you'd go whacked. Drop Probably. kicked by a teacher or yeah. a Christian brother. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever get a punch off a Christian brother? <laughs> My no, God, them lads must, must work out. 
Oh, that it, I don't know why you said unfortunately yeah, there because it would have. I, I say unfortunately because because it would have been a good talking point, <laughs> and it would have informed my fucking hatred of them. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, unfortunately, we lived in fear. The fear of them the was fear, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, God, no! If you got a box of them, lads, you'd know about it. Actually, you wouldn't because it'd be erased from your memory. They'd punch you that fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there you go. Good old school violence. <laughs> Bring out the trauma in us. Um, any other, any other laughs? No, I don't think so. No, and yourself? No, <laughs> just a just a bad day. That made you smile. Right, right in today off. Ah, Chappelle, watching Chappelle. I was going to say that's that's, that's, that's kind of a smile more of a smile than a rile. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, well, a little of both. Yeah, definitely made me smile, but then the backlash of it and etc. So, mm. yeah. Do you know what I got into? And you're going to sneer me for this because, like, ten years Probably. too late, <laughs> Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> nine Nine. <laughs> I watched Nine Nine. It's alright. It's, it's a good it's laugh. Good. You know what I mean? It, on in the yeah, background, yeah. get a it's, chuckle over. Yeah. Exactly. I watched. I watched them yeah. all. But uh, yeah, I was never like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, nah, it's, it's alright. It's one of those things where <laughs> I, was, right. I, I, I did watch a couple of episodes years ago and I went, uh, I don't know about this, but I probably just wasn't in the humor for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. Well, you've got loads to I catch know, up on. great. <laughs> Ten seasons, Imagine if it? you could erase your memory and watch your favorite series all over again. You know, imagine mm. erasing your memory and watching, like, It's Always Sunny again. Yeah. No, I'd take, I'd take something bigger now. I would have taken something like The Sopranos. Never watched it. Actually, you've seen the first series of it. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, anything like that. Band of Brothers. Never seen it. And basically, most things were fucking HBO in front of us. Mm. <laughs> They, they make good TV. Sex in the City. Yeah, there you go, dude. <laughs> Never seen it. Never watched it. <laughs> Never watched it. Um, I, do you know what the funny thing was? I, I went to see Sex in the City movie in New York. And do you know what? The, do you know what? The, like, you know, Laura wanted to see it. So I said, right, look, we, we're going to see this. And we, we'll, we'll get Cosmopolitans sure. for the crack. You know what I mean? So we need a bit of crack. But do you know what the funny thing was? After watching that movie, you walk out of the theater, and it's like you're still in the movie because it's all shot around you. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the middle of yeah, Manhattan, yeah, so it's yeah. like, wow, I've never had this before. This is amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. uh, no, it's a ship movie. But it was cool to see. Cool to see New York. <laughs> uh, if you're going to see it anywhere, that's the place exactly. to see it. Yeah. yeah. Now we are absolutely delighted to be joined on the podcast by another author. This time it's Nick Daniel. Nick, very welcome along. Hi, how's it going? We're all good. We're all good. We were just saying before you come on that the uh, the name of your upcoming book is brilliant. Burn this city to the ground. It's a real eye catcher. Mm. Yep, yep. Thank you. Um, yeah, the book the book is actually about um, my experiences caring for a quadriplegic. Um, I live in Minneapolis, so it's it's sort of like in the year leading up to the pandemic and uh, riots um sort of in this in this um we're we're living in downtown minneapolis so it's it's very timely and it's and it's um you know kind of a current events uh type book i I mean it happened last year but um you know i think it's still really fresh in in everyone's minds so um i'm really you know hoping that it does well Before we get into the book, Nick, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself before um, we kick in in earnest? Well, 
Well, basically, uh, I I suffer from uh, sort of what's known as I I would describe it as like a severe persistent uh, mental health condition. Um, I have PTSD, um, bipolar one, and anxiety, um, and I'm also a caregiver for severely disabled individuals. So I kind of have, uh, you know, in terms of the mental health landscape in the U.S., um, I sort of have a, a perspective from both client and provider because mm. um, I, I also take care of like not just severely physically disabled, but also severely mentally disabled um, clients like with traumatic brain injuries and and um, more more serious mental health um, concerns as well. Hmm. Nick, when you say so, PTSD, where did that stem from? Um, well, I was, uh, like, physically abused as a child um, by, a, by an older brother, um, you know, when I was around, like, 9 or 10. And then, and then when I was a teenager, you know, I started having some problems with addiction and abusing um, drugs. And, and that sort of, like, exacerbated... Um, sort of the underlying issues from the environmental, mm. from the environmental impact of what happened to me as a kid. So, you know, by the time I was in my twenties, you know, it was starting to become a major issue in my, you know, in my personality and like everything that was going on with me. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's um, something that I've been dealing with for a long time. I've been hospitalized uh, more times than I care to really talk about, <laughs> you know, just in, in, um, you know, in psych wards in the U S um, I'm sure it's been like maybe like five times over the course of my life, but it's been like, you know, probably like eight years since I've had like a really major issue. So I'm, I'm, you know, good to go right now. So but when you say physically abused by your older brother, I mean, are we talking big brother beating you up kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't for, for me, it was something that was very like frightening. Um, cause I was only like nine or 10 and he was, you know, in high school. Um, so it, it was, he, he was kind of trying to teach me to be a rough, tough guy. But to me, it was something that was more traumatic because I was so afraid of him. Um, that, uh, it was, you know, it, it was really, you know, it really changed the course of my life because, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I was in like gifted and talented classes and, you know, I was, I was, I was sort of on a path, um, you know, to become, you know, a really upstanding person, you know, so when you get physically abused like that, um, it sort of changes your whole trajectory in life. Um, so, you know, not only were, not only was that happening, we were poor and, you know, my mom was a single, single mom. Um, so my dad was in the picture, but not really as much. So it was all kind of like, um, you know, sort of this, um, difficult environment, um, to mm. be in. So do you think there was, there was jealousy involved, Nick? You know, uh, you're the yeah, you're the gifted yeah, guy, sure. and yeah, yeah, for sure. And and my brother was more of like a like a sort of athletic, um, like he was captain of the hockey team, and mm. I mean, I was a little kid, you know. So mm. it's like, you know, so it's like, how much can you really judge on that? Um, 
but yeah there was you know my mom you know I was definitely like um sort of fawned over a little bit more but I was a kid you know I was little yeah, yeah. Cool. so you know so is that a common thing you see Alan you know in situations where um you know if family split up the eldest is taken on that father role yeah, and the mother yeah. would nearly see the eldest as a shadow of the father and resent him a little bit because he reminds him of the father you know what i mean yeah yeah all, all very common experiences i actually only had the, the conversation with someone yesterday of i'd seen a teenage client and had the parents back in for review and young lad had done grace and i was like you know he takes on a lot of responsibility and mm. they're like that's actually probably the grandparents who told him he's the man of the house and yeah you know a young young kid young teenager takes that on and you know uh, i'd say probably nick's brother kind of stepped into that role perhaps vacated by by your dad nick and kind of but went to town with it mm, you know yeah. and Overboard, he said he was yeah. trying to toughen you up he was trying to do this kind of thing but essentially just traumatized you i mean i presume yeah. we're talking more than a more than a wedgie and stuff here nick yeah yeah i mean it was i don't really want to get into it um mm, as much because okay. because i feel like my family will probably listen to this and be, yeah. like, and be like what the hell are you doing yeah, but yeah. um you know is he, is he aware though nick is he aware of the, the impact that that's are your family aware of the yeah, impact that it had well, on him you know he he's kind of more estranged and i think it's because of stuff like that where um he doesn't feel as connected and there is sort of like a you know a different a boundary there that he's kind of set with with everyone as not getting too close and and I think there is a lot of resentment towards my dad for for the divorce and stuff like that so it's it's a it's a very um you know complicated family situation and and it's really sort of impacted how we've all developed as um individuals you know, it's, it is, it is kind of what it is at this point. And it was, you know, I was just, I was like two years old when it happened. And now it's, you know, a good 35 years later, you know, so, yeah. it, it, but it's interesting to see, you know, the, how it, how it still affects people, you know, of course, like, <laughs> and, and some people are like, God, it was so long ago. Why are we still talking about this? And for other people, it's still fresh in their mind. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's difficult. Um, and my dad is, is a really nice guy. Um, he's, he's a brilliant, uh, landscape designer, um, back in my hometown and, and, um, you know, my, every, everyone's doing well. I mean, I, I really feel like everyone's doing well. Um, you know, I still struggle a lot with my mental health, uh, condition, but, um, I think things have kind of mellowed a, a bit you know, since, since all that happened. And, you know, I don't, I don't harbor really any ill feelings towards my brother. Um, you know, I, I, I do write about, um, sort of what happened in my first book and that's called Corners Untouched by Madness. Um, both books are memoirs, but the first book is more about like my mental health struggle and it's very much centered around me. And the second book is centered more around my, my client and I, um, but, I do, I do kind of go in depth, um, a little bit more in my writing. Not, not a lot. I don't, I don't really talk about the source of my mental illness a ton. I, I do, I do touch on it in a couple of chapters. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's something that 
I think is, is more difficult for me than, um, you know, a lot of other people just because of the abuse, Mm -hmm. um, that I went through. On top of the PTSD, Nick, you mentioned bipolar, but bipolar one. Yep. Yep. It's the Mm -hmm. more, the more, uh, that's that's the bad one. Serious kind. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I, I really, I really think that has kind of toned down a little bit. Um, you know, after, you know, is that through medication or, yeah, after medication and and I don't really have manic episodes anymore. Even like, you know, something that uh, kind of came up as I was writing um, is that as a as an author, it's it's sort of easy to get into those grandiosity feelings mm-hmm. um, because you're because like, you're writing and it's and you're like, oh, this is so good, this is so good. Like I'm gonna be on. I'm going to be on a talk show or like, you know, you start to think like <laughs> stuff like that when it's like, you know, kind of far flung um, sometimes. And, and, you know, it's, it's difficult, like, especially as like a, like a, like a psychotherapist or, or like a therapist or, you know, to say, okay, are these like dreams that this person has, or, or are these things that, that they actually believe that are unrealistic? So it's, there's there's sort of like a fine line that I think uh, providers walk there where it's sort of like okay this person has goals and aspirations and everything like that or you know is this is this a concern for us as the provider um, is this person getting out of control with their and is this mania or is this person just trying to aspire to this stuff you know so so i think i think that's it for any creative person i think that's a really interesting dynamic you know you how, mentioned sorry nick you mentioned well, there not not so many manic episodes now we touched on bipolar in the past but uh, it's mostly been bipolar too uh we had arlene on pia were you on for that one or i think it was myself and cam arlene but her her manic would be kind of break it into her sister's house to, to clean the house. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, you're the first, uh, just to differentiate for people of Bipolar 1 and Bipolar 2. Bipolar 2 kind of more, it's a tamer version, I guess, and probably more kind of long-term depression, perhaps more than severe manic episodes. Would right. that have been your experience, Nick? Or can you elaborate um, perhaps on some of that from your point of view? You know, I was, uh, in 2013, I was, uh, committed by a court to go to a mental health hospital and it was, and it was more like, it wasn't like a, like scary, like, um, hospital that you would see like in like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, yeah, yeah. Like that, you know, <laughs> it was, it was more like a, it was more like a psych ward, like that was disconnected from a hospital. So it was, it wasn't, you know, it was pretty tame and the people there were, you know, kind of normal, but like, okay, I'll just, I'll just go into the plot of some of my first book, uh, Corners Untouched by Madness. Uh, basically it's about how I'm kind of like spiraling out of control as like, sort of like I I was like an office worker after I got out of, uh, out of college and I had, um, just graduated with a degree in graphic design or, uh, graphic arts. Um, and I was working in an office and, you know, some, one thing led to another and I eventually quit that job. And, and then, you know, I, I started getting involved more with like spiritual practices and, and I was practicing Buddhism um, and, and, you know, trying to getting in, you know, it's, it's weird. Like that could be like a whole thing is just 
trying to practice Buddhism with a mental health condition is very um, sort of unique. Um, but but I ended up uh, feeling like, you know, because I, I and I was writing my book at the time, all this was going on. So it, it's it's kind of a unique book because I, I'm writing it and I'm starting to go through these, um, you know, severe sort of mental health problems. And, and it's sort of written during my um, sort of like, like almost like a psychotic manic episode. Um, so I, I end up thinking that people are like trying to hurt me, you know, which wasn't really, I mean, it, it had some basis in reality, but it wasn't like, it was definitely like blown out of proportion. Like, oh, maybe these people just don't like me, you know, or something like that. So, so I was like, um, you know, thinking people were trying to hurt me. And um, that's sort of where the mania came in, um, where I had these really elated feelings like, like, oh, my God, I'm in panic mode, like all day long, you know, like, I ended up like having a like trying to tell my dad and saying like, oh, these people are trying to hurt me. And, you know, I had a, one of those confrontations with the police that uh, they're talking about in America right now, because it's like, oh, the police have guns. And, you know, how, how are they, how are they de-escalating these situations? And it's not like in a healthy way. So, you know, they, you know, I'm coming out like, oh, I'm so afraid someone's trying to hurt me. And then they're coming out with like, you know, their guns and they have their hand rusted on their little holster. And like, it's like, it's like, oh my God, like, this is like making it way worse, yeah, you yeah. know? And, and then, and then they like handcuff you and put you in their car and, and it's like getting arrested. But instead of taking you to jail, they take you to the hospital, you know? And it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's really problematic. And, and that's like what a lot of the discussion is going on in the United States right now is, is, you know, why do we have police officers doing these things? <laughs> and, and especially police officers with firearms, Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that, that scares people, you know, that, that tends to aggravate the situation a little bit. Um, and, and especially, uh, you know, individuals that aren't really trained to, you know, they're not, they're not, I, I you know, they, they can be compassionate, but it's like, they're not the, always the most compassionate people that are going to use like finesse or like, um, sort of mindfulness to deal with the situation. Speaking of um, which, Nick, um, 25th of May last year, where were you when you heard the news? Uh, oh, uh, are, you're talking about uh, George Floyd? Yeah. Um, you know, I I um, I knew George Floyd from uh, I I was a volunteer at the homeless shelter that um, you know, I think there was some talk about it where you know that's where he met his girlfriend and. Um, a lot of that stuff. So, so I knew him from the time he, he worked there in like 2018 and I was volunteering there, like, you know, probably every weekend, like Saturday, Sunday. So I ran into him all the time. Um, and you know, when I found out that he was, uh, murdered, um, I, I was with my client and, and, you know, we had just moved out of downtown Minneapolis. So we weren't, um, downtown and, and a lot of the, a lot of the problems weren't downtown. It was more like South Minneapolis where, where it happened. And my, my half brother actually lived like a few blocks from where he got killed. Um, but I was with my client and it was kind of like, 
you know, I, I was used to him wearing glasses all the time because, um, you know, he also wore glasses a lot. And, and so I saw his picture on the television screen and I was like, oh, um, you know, who is he? And, and I always thought his name was Floyd. So when they were saying George Floyd, I was like, mm. you know, so I didn't recognize him at first. And, and I was kind of like, oh, it's, and, and then I saw one of my friends from the shelter that I had on like social media and, and he was giving out sort of like a, like a, oh, we'll miss you, rest in peace kind of thing. And I was like, oh my God, like, that's so, like, I, it was unbelievable. It was, it was so surreal. And, and we were, my client and I were going through the pandemic and the lockdown at the time, or I think the lockdown had just been lifted. So it was, it was very much, you know, horrifying. Um, and then to, and then to watch the aftermath and, um, you know, sort of what happened with the riots and stuff like that. So um, the way that I kind of reacted to that is I didn't, I didn't want to remember him as like, you know, being on the ground begging for his life. So I never really uh, sat down and watched the video of him uh, being killed or murdered. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, especially in my book, um, you know, cause I write about knowing him a little bit in my new book and, um, it's sort of like, uh, I wanted to paint him as like sort of the person I knew him as, as this very human, um, sort of, um, you know, person that was protecting this homeless shelter and, and, you know, helping, helping people and, and making sure people are safe and, did he volunteer and, um, at the the homeless shelter night? No, he he was a he was He's a, a security paid, guard, wasn't he? Yeah, okay. he was a security yeah. guard. Yeah, so you know, it, it's so strange because I saw him like, you know, working with the police. You know, when people would get in fights and stuff like that. So it, you know, it's not like he wasn't known by the Minneapolis Police Department because of his role as a as a like a bouncer in in some of his roles and and as a security guard. So um, I don't know exactly how that dynamic worked, um, but I just know that um, in my experience with him, he was a very nice man, um, always was kind to me. And, and you know, I never really, I, I wasn't, I was, I was more just, you know, like an acquaintance or someone that saw him every once in a while. I wasn't, I never really had like a like an in-depth meaningful conversation with him it was more like you know hey how's it going like you know can you help me with this or can you help me with that it was like I would see him like all the time because because I would have to ask him for a parking like for a free parking pass you know so I could park <laughs> yeah. so I could park there so I it was more like hey hey Floyd can I get a pass I'm here you know like <laughs> mm, yeah so it was it, you know I I feel like there's so many other people that could um you know, talk more in depth about what kind of person he was and stuff like that. And, you what, know, what was it like for you, though, Nick, to hear a lot of people kind of at the time justified the murder as, oh, he was convicted, he had so many convictions, he was a criminal, oh, he was this, he oh was my that. God, I, I talk about that in my book. I touch on that a little bit because my, my client was also like an ex-con. So there's some discussion about, you know, do people really get reformed in prison? You know, and, and I think and all, sort of all like, evidence in the U.S. And, is no. Yeah, yeah, but um, I think it's not about I think, reformation. I think sometimes, um, 
you know, I, I talk about how people kind of find religion in, in prison too. And there's Bible groups and, and stuff like that, where people, people, they're trying to help people like, and I, I had a, a Buddhist teacher who, who would go into prisons and teach meditation and stuff like that. So there's, you know, they're, they're trying to, to do things like that, but um, there is a definite discussion in my book that's not directly related to Floyd, but I'm, I'm sort of talking about, you know, nine times out of 10, someone goes into prison and, and, you know, doesn't really get reformed, but there are, there are people that come out and are like, oh, I don't want to go back there again. So I, I really think that George Floyd was kind of the latter um, where he was just trying to get his life on the straight and narrow. And I, you know, and it's like people, people go to prison, but that doesn't mean that they can't be, you know, well-meaning, productive members of society when they come back out again. So I, you know, as I knew him, you know, he wasn't, I, you know, and I didn't know him that well, so I can't really speak on like his personal life or anything like that. But I, I, there's a definite feeling that, you know, second chances are major second chances can be major for people it can make or break a person um you know especially in that type of situation um if you're if you're kind of compartmentalizing them as a criminal you know they're more likely to be a criminal you know but if you're giving if you're giving them opportunity to kind of like grow and um change as a person and and sort of um you know, get, get out of that kind of mold that you put them in. I, 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 I think you have second chances are, are major. Um, and I, I don't really think that the conversation that, that he was some kind of career criminal, um, is really helpful because I, I think the whole point of like, especially the black lives matter movement is to show people the person, uh, behind all these stereotypes, you know? So, so, especially in my book when I, he's not like a main character in my book, obviously, because I didn't know him that well. He's sort of like a tertiary thing that's going on. Um, but I, I think that the main focus of the Black Lives Matter movement is to show the person behind all these stereotypes. So I think, you know, kind of, kind of painting him as this criminal is not, is not helpful. Um, sort of, sort of showing him as more of like a flawed person like we all are you know we all have make mistakes and we all we all go through this stuff so I I think that is sort of more their objective is to to show hey this is a human being you know that has that has feelings and emotion and can suffer just like all of us and 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 um you know I, I think that's a really important sort of uh touching point on on that whole situation mm. Um, what was the mood like especially sorry nick what, oh, what was the yeah what was the mood like in the, minneapolis afterwards oh my god um well i was a i was a caregiver so i was an essential worker and um you know i would have to go out at night uh during curfew to go to work and and because i would work overnights or i would just you know have to check on people um, so I had like a little badge with my picture on it, um, that was provided by my company in case I got stopped. So, it, you know, and then like at that time I had moved out of downtown, so I was in the suburbs and, you know, it's like driving on the, on the freeway and you're driving sort of near downtown. And then like, there's these big barriers in the road, like trying to 
like going into going into the city. Um, so it, you know, it was scary and, and it was lockdown, you know, it was definitely yeah. like, you know, the pandemic stuff happening and people weren't going out and everyone was wearing masks. And so it was um, eerie on top of know. eerie, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for me, because I knew the guy, it was very, uh, sort of disturbing. And, you know, I, I moved in with my, my girlfriend after I left my client who eventually is now my wife. Um, so, you know, I think the closest we got to it is, you know, a gas station got burnt down like a mile from where we lived. Cause like, um, you know, it's, there, there was a lot of areas that were affected, you know, it wasn't just one area that, you know, it was kind of, and it was kind of like, you know, the first ring of suburbs and, and like the sort of like outside downtown that got affected the worst. Um, but it was, you know, it, the mood was, um, you know, for people in the suburbs, it was kind of like, oh my God, like, like I I wasn't super affected by it other than um, sort of things being shut down and the, and the, I wasn't going down into the riots or anything like that. Um, And I, and I wasn't like uh, super closely related to anyone who was doing stuff like that. Um, My brother uh, that I, that I mentioned before, um, you know, he was close enough to where George Floyd was murdered that he was worried that the rioters were going to come into his um, neighborhood and start messing with stuff. So they had like their neighborhood community community um, sort of board or however you want to call it, had like a, a crisis plan. Um, like what happens if, if the rioters come and start messing with houses and stuff like that. Um, so, so it was very scary. And, and at that time, um, when Minneapolis was locked down, there is only so many ways you could get in or out of the area. So, you know, if stuff's going on there, you know, and, and all the roads are closed, I, I'm not really sure what that looked like. I would have to talk to my brother more about that. But, you know, there's only so many ways to get in and out because all the highways were shut down. Um, and uh, it, it was... Um, you know, it was scary. It was scary. And I was scared for my brother and, and, um, all of the people that were down there. Like I had a, my Buddhist teacher at the time, whose name is Ben Connolly. Um, he, he would go down into the riots and just meditate on the street corner. <laughs> well, it, it was like, bef- not at night, you know, not at night when they were really bad, but when they're more like protests during the day. And, um, that was, significant and he's been doing that um you know when when some of the other deaths that have happened in in minneapolis from you know because minneapolis i don't know what is going on i think it's like um sort of like a problem where a lot of the police officers in minneapolis are coming in from the suburbs and if you know anything about minnesota like there's like the twin cities which is very ethnically diverse and 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 very urban and then and then minnesota like greater minnesota is like all white people so it's like you have these police officers coming in from the suburbs and they're like they don't know how to they they're they're like foreigners in a in a strange land kind of thing where they're 
um, there is a little bit more bias and, and, and misunderstandings um, when you're not immersed. And, and I got living downtown, I, I definitely felt that like I, I was immersed in this whole cultural experience um, like where it's like sort of like a melting pot, like they talk about the melting pot in, in the United States. And, um, and I, and I feel like the police officers come into that and they're very much like kind of strangers in a strange land and, and, you know, they're not properly trained to deal with it and they're not familiar with it. So I feel like that, um, you know, you think caused that a lot of issues. Do you think that just perpetuates everything then, Nick, that, you know, as you said, you know, you're walking around mental health issues. They've got their hand on the on the on the clip, on their on their hip gunslinger yeah. style. They're going into, a, you know, ethnic areas where obviously they're hated because because of crimes like like George Floyd and stuff like that. It all seems to I mean, on a on a societal level within the in the US, it just all seems to perpetuate itself. You know, we talk about. You know, people come out of prison, you know, you're trying to apply for a job, job applications. Have you ever been convicted? Have you ever done time in prison? Yeah, okay, so straight away you're not getting that job. You take whatever job you can get, you're probably stuck in a cycle of poverty. The like the the reoffending rate in, in the US is like sixty four percent, sixty five percent, you know, of of yeah. going back into prison. You got the cops then not properly trained, whether it's to deal with mental health issues or whether it's to deal with you know tensions in the streets it just all seems to just keep this cycle of i don't know fear anxiety whatever it is just seems to keep going it all just seems to feed into itself well i think the important thing to to mention is that the police are not advocating for uh these uh like minority communities um because especially in the in in Minneapolis we have a very large Somali population and we have and we have a very large uh, Hmong population and my wife is Hmong so I know more about that um, than a lot of things but because when you think you, Min- know, you know Minnesota you think Scandinavian you know you think Vikings yeah, yeah, you think yeah 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 um, but it is the the Twin Cities is very ethnically diverse I mean it's it's um, you know, it's extremely, uh, there's all sorts of different types of people here. And, 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 um, you know, there's a very rich arts and music, uh, sort of scene and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's, um, you know, I, I think in terms of like the minority communities, in terms of like what we've been talking about, um, they're not advocated the same um as as like especially white communities and suburban communities um so i think that the tendency for there to be crime um you know and and i'm not saying it's bad in in somali among communities but um you know they they need to protect their people you know so so you know that's where a lot of the crime comes from is they're not being properly handled by they're not being properly protected you know, because they're discriminated against and, and, um, you know, things like that. So they're not being properly protected. So some of the crime rises, you know, because they're like, oh, we have to, the cops are seen as, as, um, you know, threatening because they're putting their, they're putting people in jail and they're arresting people without a reason and, you know, stuff like that, or, or without, without a good reason. And, and, you know, like that um 
What was the yeah. reason, Nick, that they that they stopped you? That that you ended up in court and you ended up being hospitalized? Um, I I think it was just um, you know, I was having a manic episode and and I had just I was writing my book, so I was like trying to get the word out on my book, and I was emailing all these people and saying all this you know weird stuff, um, because I was I had stopped taking my medication, so that was one problem. Um, so they, I was refusing my medication and I was like, I'm a Buddhist. I don't have to take meds. I have religious reasons, you know, like stuff like that. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a Buddhist snake. I've like, never tried yeah. to get away with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, but my altercations with the police, I was very much like, okay, just take me. I, I'm not a threat. Just take me away. Like, I'm not going to try to fight back or anything. So, so mine, but it was definitely like, oh, like they have their, their hand on the holster. Like, you know, they're ready for, for whatever. And I just had my hands in the air. I just put my hands up. I was like, uh, I don't want to deal with this stuff. You know, like, I don't want to be in this situation any longer than I have to be. But, you know, whenever I hear about, um, you know, the police shooting someone who's mentally ill or, um, you know, it's, it's horrible. It's horrifying for me. Um, and it does bring back painful memories, um, of, you know, my, my time, you know, being, being, um, sort of in that situation. And and I just feel like it's so unnecessary. Um, and I'm not like, you know, take the, take, take the police away, defund the police, you know, I, I think, you know, educate the police, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be, you know, protection from from stuff that's going on. Like, um, but, you know, for me, I feel like there should almost be like a secondary uh, sort of department that just deals with these situations. And I think that's what a lot of people are talking about is, is, is getting some trained sort of like, almost civilian protectors or something like that to go into these situations and de-escalate um sort of like a first responder for mental health care uh issues like um counselor or psychotherapist or something yeah employed by the police yeah 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 alan you'd love that yeah so (laughs) (laughs) i'd go in there i'd be having the crack (laughs) get in with your badge (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. but it's amazing the difference you know i think you touched on it before in one of the episodes i think was when we had ashley around the black lives matter uh episode of just a different attitude toward police in Ireland and the US. Like, you know, in, in the US, it's intimidating, you know, because the police here don't have guns. You know, you can go right, up and you can right. you can chat to them, you can have the crack, you know, you jaywalk in front of them. And, you know, it's just an entirely different experience because right. they're not they're not armed. And I suppose the, the argument will also go, well, they're also not primarily facing people that are armed. So, you know, again, that doesn't that doesn't perpetuate itself into it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, my my whole perspective on that, and I think a lot of people are like, you know, it's impossible to take people's guns away because they're so, like, just into it. It's never like, going to happen. Never yeah, happen. Yeah, they're just so into it. And and so it's like they're, you know, so it's it, it for someone like me, like, I've been committed, so I can't have a gun. You know, oh. I, 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 you know, I can't have a gun. I can't go out and buy a gun. I can't have, like... Uh, I can have pepper spray, but I can't have mace because mace has different. I, I I don't think I can even have like a knife, 
like a like a combat knife, you know, or something like that. Uh, are you viewed then, you know, Nick, so as a as a threat? I mean, is is this how it's is this how you're viewed then? Um, or a possible you know, threat? It's it's something that's more like. It's not something that people know about. Yeah, I'm just like, sort of, it is sort of like if you've been committed before. I could get my commitment reversed, but it's it's hard to it's harder to do that. Um, it's kind of like getting your felony expunged or something like that from your record. Um, and it's and it's more difficult to do that. Um, but it's it is possible, you know. And I just haven't gone through that process yet. But um, I think uh, you know what I was trying to say is. You know, there's um, sort of this feeling by by people that aren't like really Second Amendment, like I, I live or die by my gun. Yeah, you know, right to like bear that. arms. It's sort it's sort of like you know, if all the criminals are gonna have guns, you know, I would want someone with a gun to not be a criminal. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's kind of mm. like well, I guess if the bad guy has a gun, like the good guy should have a gun too, like. <laughs> you know so because there are a lot of well i mean that's that's the other side of it isn't it of (laughs) of why they won't uh, you know make firearms illegal because the the argument is well you know if you take away the guns then only criminals have guns yeah yeah that is a big that and that's what i'm that's what i'm kind of touching yeah that's why it's never it's just never going to resolve itself especially you know if if people in mexico have guns you know it's you know there's just a border there so they're yeah, just gonna be yeah. like oh here have some of these guns you know like, <laughs> throw them over <laughs> trump's wall <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned so, you, you sorry nick you mentioned a couple of times that you were hospitalized a few times yeah you were institutionalized have, have, have were all of those experiences similar to the first where it was like yeah it's not too bad it's you know just a couple of yeah, people it's, maybe it's whacked out like a little a, bit but a few times you know i even um you know, I put myself in the hospital because I was like, okay, I can't handle this. I need to be helped, you know? So there, not every one of my, uh, sort of hospital, most of them were, were not forced. They were like, Mm. okay, I need to go in. What was going on um, in your life at those times, Nick, that you, that, you know, you felt the need um, that, okay, I need to, I need something more severe. It was mostly just stress and just, um, I have anxiety. I deal with, I don't deal with stress in a, in a, you know, I'm not good at dealing with it. I'm a lot, I'm, you know, a pro now, but you know, back then I was kind of like, Oh, I don't know how to deal with real life. You know, I don't know how to deal with being an adult. Um, so it's, you know, I think, you know, most people that are going to be mentally ill as an adult usually develop it like around the time they graduate from, from high school or like yeah, you know, yeah. 18, 18, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Um, so I kind of went through that where I got done with school and I was like, Oh my God, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like I don't, and I feel like depressed and I feel sick. And, and, and I think, you know, a part of that is because there's so much pressure on kids getting out of school to go mm. to college and, and become productive members of society. And it's like, what do we do with people that aren't, you know, fitting into that whole, like, sort of rat race type you know it's hard to hard to move out with the folks and and um you know it's hard to fight hard to get um a career going when you when you don't have especially for someone like me who who had underlying mental health issues and was abusing drugs and alcohol um you know it was hard for me to to sort of um you know adjust after all that stuff and and I didn't you know, I wasn't adjusting well to adult life 
Um, so there were times where I would get so depressed that I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, I wasn't eating a lot, you know, and, and, you know, eventually there, my family was like, oh, you should, you know, go in and, and, you know, kind of get looked at. So that was sort of like my first hospitalization was sort of, oh, you're not going anywhere with your life and you feel really sick all the time. So you should go into the hospital and find out what's wrong. And I think, uh, originally they diagnosed me with like schizoaffective disorder. Um, but then eventually it became, uh, bipolar. Um, so, you know, it's like mood stabilizer, antipsychotic, like stuff. Um, but then, uh, you know, after my major psychotic episode in 2013, um, they were like, oh, he has PTSD for sure. <laughs> so, cause like some of the, yeah. And I what, feel what like did that my, look like for you, Nick? What, what did your PTSD, what did that look like for you? Oh man. Oh, it's so awful sometimes. Um, I think uh, I, I did a video uh, recently about uh, being an author with PTSD and writing about um, your stories because um, it's like writing about what is going on in your mind um, during PTSD is very triggering. Um, it's mm. very, it's like relive, reliving the trauma <laughs> yeah, over yeah. and over. I would not, I would not suggest it unless you have a good firm grasp on, on reality and, and you're in therapy and, and stuff like that. But, um, kind of for, for my PTSD, it's very much, um, sort of something that echoes through my life. So it's like, you know, I have PTSD because of abuse as a child, but then it's like, traumatic things are happening to me throughout my life that kind of like, uh, reverberate, um, sort of what's, you know, everything going through like the, the timeline, you know? So like, especially some of my hospitalizations were very, um, especially the hospitalization when the police were involved, they're very traumatic for me. So it's, it's, it's sort of like, um, and then writing about it, you know, when I first wrote my, when I wrote my first book, I was so uh, sort of traumatized that I couldn't even market it. And, um, it is, you know, it's gotten very good uh, critical reviews and, and reception. But, um, you know, when you're dealing with a mental illness and you're trying to make that mental illness kind of like in the public sphere, um, it's scary. It's, it's horrifying, actually. <laughs> um, and uh, it's... Uh, you know, my, what my PTSD kind of looks like is, you know, I'll, I'll be triggered by something and I'll, and I'll have a traumatic memory. And then I kind of just have to lay down until it's, until it's over, you know? So my wife gets very, um, sort of upset because I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, Paku, I'm going to, um, go lay down for a while. Cause I'm having some mental health issues. So I just go into my room and and turn the lights off and just kind of lay down and just wait for it to be done. Um, so, and, and sometimes that's all you can do. And, and some people are like, well, you know, why don't you try doing this or why don't you try doing that? And it's like, uh, I kind of just have to like, let it run its course a lot of the time. It's like, I, I would compare it to having a migraine, you know, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just kind of like, oh, I, just gotta, I just got to wait for this to be done now. Like, <laughs> 
you know, I can't really do anything while I'm freaking out, <laughs> you know. So I, I would, like, especially my PTSD, I would compare it to a migraine when it's going on. You kind of just want to go to a dark room and, you know, kind of wait for it to be okay again to kind of do things. So, hmm. yeah. Um, let's talk about your new book, Nick, Burn This City to the Ground. Um, where did you get that title from? Excellent title. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to give too much away, uh, but it ties into the book, and it's not um, it's not referencing what you think it's referencing because the, <laughs> the book that's, the that's book, a good cliffhanger. That's a lure. Yeah, get yeah, yeah, yeah. The book the book is about uh, me and a uh, and I was a living uh, caregiver for a quadriplegic. So it's got like I like to say it's like me before you uh combined with like fight club. <laughs> <laughs> but uh um so I'm I'm living with this quadriplegic and and this quadriplegic very much is suicidal and um and, is that uh, based on your own experience, and, Nick? Is yes, that... yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's a it's a memoir. What, what's the, what's the mental health impact of that? You know. Oh man. Uh, well, I think uh, a lot of it is um, the thing that really affected my mental health the most is I was di- during this. In the book, I'm diagnosed with stage three cancer, so uh, I had melanoma. So that was that really affected me, but also like sort of like this. Uh, situation in the United States where people that are disabled uh, don't have uh, access to caregivers um, because they're just so desperately needed. So um, there's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, the work is there. You know, if you want to be a caregiver, there's, you could work. It's not easy work. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, the, the mental health aspect of it, and especially living with, with, um, someone who's never going to recover from their ailments. Um, and, and my client in the book doesn't have like a filter and she, and she's very vulgar and, and, um, and just says stuff just to shock people. So it's kind of like, um, you know, you're, you're living with someone that is stuck in sort of like this perpetual negativity and anger and not at their own fault you know, because of what they, you know, they broke their neck or, or whatever they did. Um, and, and it's like this person uh, only had a broken neck, so there was no sort of brain injury or anything like that. So they're very much aware of their situation and like what's going on with that. Um, and, um, you know, there's this really huge, it's very painful, very traumatic for them to be in the situation where they can't use their body. Um, so there is sort of like a lot of drama and a lot of friction, um, in the book in regards to like, Hey, like I can't do anything myself. Like the, the, the people that are in these conditions almost seem like they're OCD because you're like an extension of them. So they can't do anything themselves. And so if they want something done, like, I know there is a problem with my client where it was like, uh, she didn't want to ask me to do things for her because of, um, nagging. Like she didn't want to nag. Um, and, uh, 
so, you know, if, if you have a person that, you know, every time you want something, every time you need some to do something that you can't do yourself, you have to ask them. So it's like, I don't want to be asking them to do X, Y, Z all the time. Like do that, do that, do that, do that. So, you know, there is a tendency for that person to kind of go wanting a lot because they don't want to be a bother. Um, so there's a lot of friction there that um, I think affected both of our mental health um, situations because it's like, I'm not getting what I want. You're not doing what I want, but I don't want to, but I don't want to ask you to do it because I don't want to be a jerk, you know? So, so it's, it's kind of a, kind of a gambit, like, you know, like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's, um, it's, and, and living with someone in such close quarters and then, and then through the pandemic, you know, is, uh, unreal, um, how that all, but, but I think in the, in the book, I sort of compress everything that's happened within like three or three and a half years into like one year. Um, because when you're writing a memoir, uh, you want to tell the whole story, but you don't want to make it like super complicated where people can't understand it or it doesn't make sense. So the, the genre of memoir, uh, is created. I would describe it as creative nonfiction where you're trying to tell a story uh, about the lessons you've learned and, and what was going on in your life. Um, but you don't want to make it, life is so complicated. You can't write it like it, it's an autobiography because you're trying to make it like a coherent story. Um, but I, you know, the book has a lot of, um, you know, it's about my mental health and, and her mental health and, and how we kind of play off each other. And it's kind of like a comedy in, in sorts. Cause we're like, you know, watching pornography together and like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of like, there's at one point she's like, I want to, I want to dress my, my wheelchair up like the Pope mobile and, and ride around after little kids playing ice cream truck music. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of like, it's, it's funny, like, especially compared to my first book, there's a lot of like very comedic moments. Like, like the first time I meet uh, her, you know, I have to give her a shower and, and, you know, she, she's getting ready for the shower and she's like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you'd never seen a naked woman before. Like, (laughs) you know, like stuff like that. Like, um, Mm -hmm. it's very, it's very funny. Um, and, uh, it's very, uh, sort of, um, dramatic at times because of, uh, the high level of emotion, uh, that both of our characters are going through. Um, and you know, the uh sort of whole caregiving uh world the low income caregivers you know people taking care of disabled individuals in their homes and um doing things like that it's such a difficult time uh right now and and a lot of it is uh attributed to the baby boomers you know like the greatest generation cuz it's such a big bubble of people and they're all getting older so there's, you know, there's not enough caregivers because it's like the biggest generation there ever was. And they're all, you know, getting to the point where they need nursing homes and beds and people taking care of them. And it's, it's, um, you know, it's huge because there's not, there's so many industries right now that are hurting for workers and the caregiving industry is so essential to, uh, comfort for elders and, and disabled people. And, and, you know, there's such a glut right now because of, um, 
because of all that, because, because there's such a huge population bigger, bigger than there's ever been. Um, and, and the, the younger generations are much smaller. So, you know, obviously there's a conflict there. Um, so, so it's also kind of about that and about how there's not a lot of funding, you know, and, and I think it's interesting because it kind of paints a picture of what it's like to be disabled and living off the government. Cause you know, in a lot of these stories with, with especially quadriplegics, they're all independently wealthy, like in me before you, you know, the guy lives in a castle, you know? <laughs> so it's like, what is it like to not have any money and be living off of social security disability? And, and, um, so that's, that's very much like a theme in the book, uh, about sort of like, Oh, like, I want to leave, like, I'm in this group home living with other disabled people, but I want to leave because the government's only giving me $90 a month for my personal needs, you know, which is nothing, you know, that's, that, that will pay like your internet bill and, and give you a nice dinner, you know, like, <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very much about, it's like a, like just this story that's running parallel to, the riots and the pandemic and, and, um, and it's almost like my client and I are sort of like cut off from everything. So like when the pandemic is happening, we're like, Oh, like they're locking everything down. Like we're, we're kind of oblivious because we're in our own little like world, you know, where I'm the caregiver and she's the client. Um, and it's very much like, I want to say it's almost like a time capsule of like everything that's going wrong you know, at that time, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know how I got into the perfect storm, but I know, I know during, during this whole time, I, I, um, I was sending my cousin these, these little animated, uh, gifts of, of Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan! You think this is, you call this a storm? Like, I keep sending, he's like on top of the mess. Like, during the whole pandemic, I was sending my cousin that, like, you call this a storm? Like, and he he has, like, the American flag, and he's like, you know, on on top of the boat. Like, (laughs) and uh, that was sort of, that's sort of, like, the general feeling, like, you know. Nick, the, the book is coming out in early December. Yeah. What date yeah. is it coming out? Um uh December seventh it it'll be on uh Amazon. So anybody listening to this um, right now, you can you can get it on Kindle or you could you could order online to yep. get a, a physical copy. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Yep, it'll be a I think that they, they have Amazon in the UK, so um Yeah, we don't. I uh we're not I in think, the I UK. Think... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, Careful, Nick. <laughs> don't worry, Nick. Sorry. Nick, don't worry. So deck with a pair of Irish lads. <laughs> Nick, don't I'm, worry. I'm... All ye Canadians say the same thing. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> oh my god. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh, we're only kids. We're only kidding. I, I do enjoy. I do enjoy watching your soccer team or football team on occasion. Oh, fair play. Uh, we don't enjoy it more than us, I'd say. I'm a, I'm a football fan. I'm a big football fan, so I know about all that stuff. <laughs> I do enjoy watching Ireland play sometimes. It's, Brilliant. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun yeah, so, when we win so. on the rare occasion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's like as long as long as you beat Scotland, probably. Ah, uh, no, we we like Scotland. England, England. we like Scotland. Yeah, yeah, Scotland. Scotland. Okay. England. Okay. It's more, it's more England. Okay, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 
That was great talking mental health in America. Big thanks again to Nick Daniel, the author, and his book, Burn the City to the Ground, is out in early December. Now, as I said to you earlier, we are straight talking mental health. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. We're on all the social medias. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram if you want to get us. We're not on TikTok. Should we be on TikTok? So we're not on all the social medias. Well, we're on most of the money. (laughs) (laughs) We're on three of them. (laughs) Barely keep up with three of them. Would you go out with it? Yeah, I know. And uh, of course, we have the website as well stmhpodcast.com you can get all the podcast episodes and get to us uh, wherever you get your podcast wherever you're listening right now you can get us all the previous episodes loads of stuff covered but there's loads more to be covered in terms of mental health so if there's anything you want us to discuss if there's a story you want to tell we'd love to hear from you email us hello at stmhpodcast.com or as alan says as he's trying to sound like a 19 year old slide into our dms slide into yeah. and hit us up <laughs> hit us up <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, fucking hip man I'm, no, I'm, with the not, kids. I'm too old for that shit man <laughs> I, do, I, I, yeah. I bought ripped jeans there a couple of weeks ago and Laura looked at me and went nah and I went no 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 no, no I'm a bit off 40 yet I'm a, I can pull this shit off <laughs> I'm going to get my midlife crisis over with now I'm going to be really yeah, efficient yeah. but uh, you, know, you can get us on Instagram you can uh, send us a message on Facebook on Twitter as well and if you like what you hear Please give us support. Um, tweet about the podcast. Share the episodes. Get the word out there because the more you share, the more people we can help. Simple as that. A very, very simple message. So if you could, give it a, a rating as well. Give it a five stars if you think it's good enough. If it's not good enough, then just don't rate it and just keep going about your business. <laughs> Come back and get it. Give us five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Okay. So we're going to leave the last word with nick on this one nick what we do is we invite all our guests to give us you know parting words of wisdoms or you know any anything phrase or any sentence you go by something Um, i think the the one that i'm um really into right now is it doesn't get easier you just get stronger you know life I think there's this this tendency to tell kids like, oh, it'll be better later on. It'll be mm. But it's like, it, no, Bullshit. Life, life, yeah, life doesn't get easier. You just get better at dealing with it. You just get stronger. That's brilliant. You just get yeah. you just get more capable and and you get better coping skills and and so I think it's sort of a, you know, saying you know things are going to be better later on. It's like eh, they probably won't be, but you're going to be, you're going to the more you go through the the more kind of callous you're going to be in dealing with some of the stuff that you're going through so the world doesn't really change the world doesn't get easier you just get better at dealing with it